0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, the Green Bay Packers emerge victorious in their preseason game. I mean, technically, you could say they were uh, 2-0 and this preseason because, you know, Patriots game was ended prior to the conclusion of the game. So let's just let's roll with that. But 19-15 was the score, not the most uh, thrilling game of our lives. Like I said, the first two games might have been the most exciting games, preseason games I've ever seen. This one, it was fine. Looking immediately at the box scores, Jordan Love was 9 of 15, 63 yards, only 4.2 yards per attempt. He had one touchdown, 15 yards was his longest pass, 91.8 passer rating. Uh, Magoo was 4 of 5 for 69 yards, 13.8 yards per attempt. Had that big pass down the sideline for 52 yards, 118.8 Passer rating for him. And then Sean Clifford, 8 of 12, 46 yards, 3.8 yards per attempt. 14 yards was his longest, 73.6 passer rating for him. Looking at rushing, number one guy running the ball was Emmanuel Wilson with 17 carries. I say number one in terms of total carries. 17 carries, 49 yards, just 2.9 yards per attempt. His longest carry was 17 yards. Um, After that, you had Nate McCrary. He had a decent chunk um, of opportunities today. 7 carries, 24 yards, 3.4 yards per attempt, and a touchdown. After that, you had Patrick Taylor. Taylor also, I thought, uh, played a decent amount and played really well. 6 carries, 24 yards, 4 yards per attempt. I also, I mean, it it is basically 100% in my mind as we go through this that it's either Patrick Taylor is the number 3 running back or there won't be a number 3 running back. Not only do I think he was the better runner today, which is seriously damning for Wilson, But they specifically pulled Wilson and put in Taylor in passing situations to pass block. So, you know, again, it is what it is. After that, you had A.J. Dillon with five carries, 24 yards, 4.8 yards per attempt. Dillon was absolutely freaking fantastic today. I mean, talking about the power. And like like I said, I saw somebody, I think after the first week, saying, like, I'm just not seeing it with his power. I was like, what are you talking about? And it's been, actually, I think it was after the second game. It's been just nonstop for me. All three games, I think it's noticeably improved he's getting that power behind him and if you didn't believe it and you didn't see it today you're never gonna see it because that was incredible sean clifford four carries nine yards 2.2 yards per attempt jordan love three carries 21 yards seven yards per attempt alex magoo had two for four yards and Jaden reed had one for nine yards receiving hilariously jordan love is on here one target one reception negative two yards after that he caught his own tipped pass Otherwise, the most targeted guy, again, was Malik Heath, just continuing to prove. So so something else that I'm quite sure of, I I had been saying that Samori Turi was kind of the lock number four kind of coming into this preseason. Some people thought he was kind of number three, maybe ahead of Jaden Reed, but I think he's always been... He he started off, I believe, as four. I'm fairly confident he has fallen, and um, clearly behind Malik Heath in my mind. And I have to assume there's a good chance it would be behind Tay Wicks. Now, Wicks has been out with injury, so he hasn't had the amount of opportunities. But, um, I mean, Heath just lays it on the line every single day. Led the team in targets, led the team in receptions, led the team in yards. Aside from the 52-yarder to Jadik Bonds, he had the longest reception of the day. He's always getting contested catches. So, I I, I do think Samori Ture is at the bottom of the pile right now, depending on whether DuBose is coming across the line or not but we'll, we'll see it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out again i think constantly putting him back as a returner is more of a negative than a positive and again they did it a lot today but heath seven targets four receptions 35 yards after that was Ture with four targets two receptions 16 yards christian watson three targets one reception six yards and a touchdown um again just not on the same page with watson that Really, really bad underthrow to Christian Watson. That was a walk-in touchdown if he could have just got the ball out there and it just wasn't there. Tucker Craft got to see him a little bit for the first time. Three targets, two receptions, seven yards. Wasn't massively impressed with what he did, but at least he did something. Jaden Reed, I thought, really kind of struggled today. Um, Three targets, one reception, seven yards. One of the drops was kind of a bigger gain for a first down. JD Bonds, two targets, two receptions, 60 yards. Emmanuel Wilson, two targets, two receptions, 9 yards. Um, Musgrave, 2-2-15. Two, two, and then uh, you got a bunch of guys, Patrick Taylor, Grant DeBose, Cody Crest, Austin Allen, Deuce Watts, all had just one, uh, one target, almost all of them for exactly 8 yards randomly, Patrick Taylor, Grant DeBose, and Cody Crest. And then on defense, leading tackler of the day was Jimmy Phillips. I thought he had a decent day today. From the little bit I was able to observe, he had seven tackles, six solo tackles. The second highest was three. No recorded sacks on the day, which was pretty disappointing to be completely honest with you. There was a lot of pressure. be interested to see what PFF calculates as the total pressure number, but disappointing nobody was able to get to the quarterback. Tackles for a loss, we had Tariq Carpenter, Brenton Cox, and uh, Kenny Clark, Brenton Cox. If anybody made it hard for me today, it was probably him. He continues to flash. Uh, Again, not necessarily, I shouldn't even say that. He he was, let me put it this way. When we were getting down to the wire, knowing that the first string guys weren't going to be on there, I remember saying, you need to make sure Brenton Cox is out there. That's the guy that's going to make a play for you. And he did. And that's a big deal. I mean, because I'm sure the coaches looked, I'm sure Joe Barry thought of that. When it got down to the wire, when we needed to win this game in the end, they put Brenton Cox in down the stretch. They kept him in the entire time because they needed the guy to make a play. And that was the guy that showed up and made plays. He created pressures, et cetera, et cetera. And I think Keyshawn Banks, I think, was the other guy. And that would have been my preference. Of, of the two that I could pick, Banks and Brenton Cox would be the two guys for sure. I don't know if I'm going to be moved enough to change my opinion. We'll have to cross that bridge in the uh, next couple days here. One interception was Benny Sapp, the game-winning interception. Very cool for him. Past deflections, we had several. Benny Sapp with two. Taree Carpenter with one. Carrington Valentine had another fantastic day. I thought he had one pass deflection. Brenton Cox had his tip pass. Corey Valentine also had a really nice broken pass along the sideline, which is good to see because I just put him on the 53. It would be nice to kind of get a little bit more comfortable with that decision, and that definitely helped. And then Carl Brooks also had a, uh, a tip pass. Banks, I thought, also had a pretty solid day. Kick return. Packers didn't have any. Punt return, Jaden Reed one for no yards. Samori Terre three for 17 yards, 5.7 average. His longest was eleven. Anders Carlson had a fantastic day. He missed the one extra point, but I don't think it had anything to do with him or the, you know, getting the snap down or the kick or anything like that. I think it was just a good play by the other team, maybe a missed block, I'm not sure. But comes through and nails two for two, one of them being a fifty seven yarder. And it's hilarious. Maybe it's just partially because it's preseason, but I really had no fear. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I borderline feel more comfortable on long kicks than than short kicks. I know he's got leg for days. He could have made that kick from 62. Now, if it's regular season, am I going to be nervous? Yes. But I, I, I don't know for a 57-yarder if I would be more nervous for him than I would be Mason Crosby, and maybe that's the distinction. If it's a 35-yarder, give me Mason. 57-yarder? Uh, I don't know. Especially as good as he's been. I mean, the, if you look at his college stats, I would take, you know, Mason or anybody else for that matter. But this offseason, Sanders Carlson's been pretty solid. Um, punting all the rage is about Daniel Whelan. Uh, according to PFF here, the only one that was actually down inside the 20 was Pat O'Donnell. I didn't think that was the case, but whatever. Um, obviously, Daniel Wheelan had more yards. I think he had more to work with, but... Um, he had a 62.5 average, which is great. 67 yards was his longest, which... Look, I, I, I really don't know. I've been 100%, and I shouldn't say 100%, but I've been very confident that Pat O'Donnell's going to be the guy. On the other hand, the Packers at their core are unbelievably cheap when it cheap when it comes to special teams. They've been trying for years to get rid of Mason Crosby, partially because he's getting older, but mostly because the guy costs like a handful of millions. It's just like the most annoying thing in the world for Brian Gutekunst in this front office to have a kicker that's over like two three million dollars they just can't handle that and I think how much is O'Donnell right now yeah two point three seven five million dollars man oh man you know the Packers cannot abide that but I mean you're shaving 10 years off you know Pat O'Donnell's in his early 30s I think I think what was he he's about 34 I think Daniel Whelan's 24 something like that Cap hit for the Packers is $750,000, which, by the way, is absolutely crazy. It's crazy because you look at it, and it's like, oh, he's basically free, and then you think, dude, $750,000. That's so much money. Man, oh, man. So I don't know, man. We'll see. We will see. I mean, I, I, I think my initial instinct was they're going to roll with what they're more comfortable with, but at the same time, you look at it and say – no, I think the Packers aren't necessarily looking for comfort as much as they are looking for the future. And if they think Daniel Whelan can be good enough, maybe they will roll with him and see if he can be the punter of the future when you know Pat O'Donnell can't be. He's a short-term fix until you can find the long-term guy. So the question is, can Daniel Wheelan be the long-term guy? I mean, Pat O'Donnell's Mason Crosby and Daniel Whelan is, is Anders Carlson. So what did the Packers do? I don't know. I'm, I'm still slightly above 50% we keep Pat O'Donnell. But I think you can make a, a very strong case for Daniel Wheelan that I kind of just was overlooking. Anyways, a couple of the team stats. Time of possession again. The Packers dominated that 37 minutes to 22. We had more plays. We had more yards. Penalties was a tie, but they had more yards for their penalties. Both teams had two touchdowns. We were two for two on field goals. They didn't attempt any. Uh, let's see. Turnovers, it was just the one uh, that benefited Green Bay. Packers are 65.6% on completions. They were 60%. They did end up with more passing yards. No sacks in the entire game. Passer rating, Packers 90.4. Seahawks 74.1. Packers had 45 carries for 164 yards, 3.6 yards per attempt. Seattle 19 carries, 74 yards, 3.9 yards. So we were dominating at first until sort of the third string guys came in, and then it was just gash city. And it was really just three major runs that probably gave them the vast majority of their yards. First downs, Packers dominated 23-14. The disparity came on rushing first downs. We had 13, they had 5. By the way, it's actually funny that I got to see the, this thing where you pick up a yard by a tight end pushing the quarterback. Because I, I, I didn't really know it was that big of a thing until Mark Murphy did his Murphy Takes Five and said he wants to petition the league to take that out of the league. And I remember I made the comment at the time that, number one, I don't understand why you would take it out. Unfair advantage, like, freaking whatever. Stop it. Like, <laughs> what a stupid thing to be like, well, we don't know how to stop it, so we're gonna ban it. Don't ban it, just figure out how to stop it. And if you can't stop it, then you can't stop it, I guess. Better not let them get into third and one or fourth and one. I don't know what to tell you. But beyond that, my bigger point was, it is absolute malpractice. If this is an automatic way to pick up a one-yard gain to not do it. And if the Green Bay Packers are going to refuse to do this, that is absolutely shameful. Now, I don't know if this was a thing where they didn't want to do it because Rodgers said absolutely not or if they wanted to protect Rodgers or what but we got into a couple of those situations and it was pretty automatic in terms of the tight ends just going to come line up behind Jordan Love or whoever, I think Love was the only one that did it, but line up behind him and just push him and yeah, pick up those yards. And it did work to perfection, I will say. But we had 13 rushing first downs. They had 5. Third down percentage, we were 9 of 18, 50%. They were 6 of 14, 43%. We were 1 for 3 on fourth downs, 33%. They didn't try any. Red zone, both teams were 2 for 3. Passes defended, we had 7. They had 4. The, the defense in general has done a really good job with pass deflections. There have been a lot. They had more tackles, which makes sense because we ran the ball more. And just had the ball more. Generally, a play ends with a tackle, so that's kind of self-explanatory. It's actually, in a sense, kind of a negative stat. Tackles for a loss, though, they had eight, we had three, so that was a big one. There was a lot of penetration in the run game, I noticed. We had a lot of big plays. It it almost seemed like it was either a home run or a negative play, with not a ton of in-between. Other than that, I think that's about it. They did do their recap. They got that in pretty early, so just a couple of the notes from PFF. They said, um... Slow start to the game with the Packers leading 12-7 at half thanks to a touchdown pass from Jordan Love to Christian Watson and a pair of Anders Carlson field goals. And then it kind of picked up, blah, blah, blah. Offensive spotlight... Jordan Love needed to use his legs on the Packers opening drive, picking up a pair of first downs on 5- and 11-yard runs respectively. He didn't complete a pass on that drive, though, going over 3 despite Packers managing a field goal. He did heat up as a passer on the Packers' third, and his final drive of the night, though, ending with a nice back shoulder throw to wide receiver Christian Watson for the touchdown. So, that was nice of him. Probably a decent sign that he's going to get at least a decent PFF grade tomorrow when those grades come out. I can't imagine it's massively high, but I also can't imagine it's very bad because again, he's kind of he kind of did what he's always done. Like he had he had a bad pass. Other than that, the passes were pretty much on the mark whether they got dropped or I think some of them the timing just wasn't great. The defenders just stand in there, but he protected the ball and the passer rating was fine and he got his touchdown and he had no interceptions. So it'll probably be if I had to guess 70 something. But again, the fact that they chose to highlight him probably not a terrible sign. And then for their rookie spotlight, they had tight end Luke Musgrave was on the field for nine passing snaps and saw two targets, catching them both for 15 yards. This preseason, he has been targeted on 20.5% of the routes he has run, something that will have fantasy managers excited about his role and could have a a big role for the Packers this season. By the way, I should also add, I didn't get to watch the game, but from what I hear, Justin Fields played like garbage. (laughs) I saw a big highlight play from, first of all, I didn't think he was supposed to play. I, I d- specifically heard his head coach say they weren't going to play him, but I guess they changed their mind. But I saw a big play from Justin Fields. I'm like, oh, here we go. Freaking this pass connection is just going to be off the chart. Turns out he was just two for six. Every According to even Bears fans, they were chiming in on the comments. This is how I know this. Even they were commenting on people bragging about that pass, saying, number one, it was a 51-yard pass, or uh, it might have been something like that. Number one, the pass was terrible. So DJ Moore was standing in the middle of the field, wide open, and he had to drop to a knee to catch it. And then he got up and ran for 600 yards. But then number two, I guess all his other passes were pretty garbage. So two for six for 51 yards for him. Again, the stats are going to look good, but the play, not so much, which makes me happy. We'll see. I mean, he listen, he may come out and look good. I'd, I have no idea what's going to happen. But as I've been saying, all I can do is look at the data in front of me. And it says for two years, the guy has been terrible. The guy's thrown probably more interceptions this offseason than anybody else. And um, in the preseason, he's shown zero things. So we'll see what happens. Here, Here is one thought. And obviously, we're going to have a lot of time going through Packers-Bears. Like, a lot of time. Which some of you are going to be excited about, and some of you are going to think, oh my good lord, I'm not listening to this podcast talk about the Bears anymore. <laughs> That's fine, I get it. This, I mean, this is kind of what I was built for, but, you know, it's fine. You can tune into another one. A lot of Packers podcasts out there. I get it. Be that way. But, you know, we've seen, just off on tangents now, we've seen three different teams in the preseason, and I'm kind of happy for all three of them because it seems like all three, as far as the defenses we went up against, were quite a bit different. The different kinds of strengths and weaknesses that we saw. You know, the, the Bengals obviously have some serious pieces on defense. I think the Packers did a really good job overcoming whatever their strengths are, but right, so so we saw that. Then you get Bill Belichick, and this guy is is got a mind and he's really good at, at this, that, or the other. And it did present some challenges. And we saw the Packers overcome it, and that's cool. And then in this game, it was like a different kind of thing. For the first time, it really felt like Matt LaFleur was not able to get his pieces open. And I don't know, maybe they were open, I don't know. But the point is, like, the the operation wasn't necessarily working. I mean, we moved the ball, so that's fine. But in terms of Matt LaFleur calls the right play to get guys open, the guys run the right play, they get open, Jordan Love knows where to look, finds the open man and throws it on time in rhythm. That didn't happen. Wherever the breakdown was, I don't necessarily know, but that didn't happen. And I am grateful for that. Because it's good to be able to see the different looks and the different things that maybe could cause some problems for the Packers and see how they can maybe work their way through it. But I, I you know, as much as we spend time trashing the Bears and how much they suck, and and they do, they they have got some bad pieces over there. Ibrulles does have a really good reputation, right? I mean, you look at Bill Belichick; he doesn't necessarily have the powerhouse pieces that he used to on defense. I mean, they're better than I think what the Bears have. But you know, they they're one of those teams that has just enough pieces. Even even Seattle, you know, I mean, yes, they have some pieces, but I don't even know if like the, uh, I don't know which starters were even out there. If the, the, the point is, if there's a weakness, if there's a thing that Matt or that um, Jordan Love seems to really struggle with, concepts, whatever, I know Matt, uh, Matt Eberflus is going to exploit that, is going to really hammer home that point. And so I'm excited to be able to see what Jordan Love and the offense has been able to do and the defense as well. Really happy to see the, the level of pressure that they've generated. I thought the run defense was decent, especially for the starters, although I, I still am convinced that the defense has decided we're just going to go get the quarterback every play, and if we happen to run into a running back with the ball, we'll tackle him. I feel like that's the philosophy we're, we're operating with. But I think they've done a good job. But the, the, the point is, I do wonder about him maybe developing a plan that could be a little bit frustrating. And, and if I had to guess what that might be, and it's a bold strategy, it's not something that you see a lot in the NFL, but based on what we've seen, it might be sort of daring Jordan to push the ball down the field. Right? right, we're going to load up, because I know you're going to want to come out and run the ball, and I know you like attacking the middle of the field, you're very good at that, we're going to kind of flood these areas. And until you prove that you can push the ball down the field, you know, the, I, I'm getting into an argument myself now. The, the, the biggest issue that I see though is a lack of pass rush. That's going to be a heck of a proposition. If you're gonna give Jordan Love time in the pocket and you've got Christian Watson who can get behind your defense and your entire thing is I bet you can't get it down there, I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see what they do. At the end of the day it comes down to execution, and I think we have better pieces than they do offense to their defense that is. So we shall see. Anyways, I'm I'm off uh I'm off track. I've just been my my brain has already turned into that week anyways why don't we take a quick break we'll come back and we'll continue to take a look at things i think one of the things i want to do not necessarily today is also start building out the practice squad looking at that kind of reviewing what some of the rules are how many people and and you know different categories of how many you can have of this and this and this and kind of take a look at you know who do we think is going to get pushed in there and who is maybe just going to get outright cut So, anyways, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is uh, the best way that you can support this podcast. You can support it for as little as one singular dollar per month. As I said before, the inconvenience of going to the website, putting in your information, and choosing to do that is going to be significantly more inconvenient than that one dollar. So, please think it over. I'd love it if you could do it. If you don't like the monthly stuff, Venmo's Packernet podcast. Also, please check out. grassfedcooperative.com. You can get some high-quality grass-fed beef delivered directly to your door. Use promo code PACKER10. That's capital P, PACKER10. You get 10% off your order. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase.
0: So I've been a Jordan Love believer since Utah State. I think he has all the tools. What we haven't seen is the production on the field because he hasn't been able to play. Yeah. He's sat for three years. He sat behind arguably the greatest ever. What he has done in those three years is gotten significantly better. And I know that because people way smarter than me have told me, go back and watch the Philly game. You remember this game last yeah, year? Yeah. Monday night. It did good. Rogers gets hurt. Love comes in ice cold. It's cold in Philly. That nasty, I'm in to Philly. Lincoln, they are not very nice. Right. We ain't nice. <laughs> they ain't nice. I ain't nice. Not nice. <laughs> and what'd he do? He came in and almost led a comeback. Whoa he was a little so hold up. He did. He did. He played good comeback? He almost had one. He almost on, had one. Right down the field against a great defense, and he looked great. Now I asked <laughs> scouts, I asked the assistant GM. What's the difference? And they said, the dude cleaned up his mechanics. He has been in the lab. Mm-hmm. It was never a question of talent with Jordan Love. He didn't play against a lot of people in college. He didn't play in the NFL. He's been playing against twos and threes for three years. Mm-hmm. We saw mm-hmm. it against Philly. Now I know it's a small sample size, but it mattered. And it also showed the organization who just gave him a 22 and dollar extension that we can count on you. Now I'm not saying he's Bart Starr or Aaron Rodgers, but what I am saying is Jordan Love is gonna be a very good quarterback for the Green Bay Packers.
1: Keep that hype train rolling, 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 rolling. That was um, Jordan Schultz talking on Speak with Shady McCoy, Joy Taylor, and Emmanuel Acho. Not a very friendly podcast, by the way, especially Joy Taylor, who um, loves to talk trash, or at least did, because Aaron Rodgers is the greatest of all time. The Packers are just the worst. They're stupid. They're idiots for getting rid of them. Packers are going to burn, and Rogers is going to show the whole world—you know—that whole speech. So our jo- Jordan Schultz went on there, and uh, they just had to sit and listen, and that made me smile. Anyways, I think you know it's—it's it's kind of fun to think about. Okay, so that's—that's that's done. What's everybody doing now? And I'm—I'm I'm specifically honing in on Brian Gutekunst because his job. You know, he was asked earlier, prior to the game or halftime or whatever it was. Do you, do you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen on this roster? And he said, "Yeah, we have a pretty good idea." So they've they've mostly got this locked down. It's it's probably like anybody that's got a fifty three. Like there's some stuff you're probably not going to move. And like I talked about yesterday, there's there's not a lot that can happen that could cause me to move it just because we have so much information. And I think that's kind of where Brian is. But he he did mention it's it's good to get a little bit more evaluation here. But here's the thing. Now is the time when we start to not only look at ours, but we start to look elsewhere. There are other people that have done some stuff in the preseason. Remember how I talked about how everybody's just trying to get their own guys back? But there's going to be guys that end up getting cut or waived that um, we're going to have an opportunity to pick up. That maybe somebody's going to try to sneak on their practice squads. And so one of the main places I'm looking is tight end for very obvious reasons. Again, even if Austin Allen's on the roster, you could still make a case for wanting another tight end. If he's not, you almost have to do it. And, and again, I, don't, I that's a stretch to say Austin Allen should be on the 53 in my opinion. So I want to kind of take a look at some of the tight ends that have been making some moves in this preseason. I think one guy that's going to stand out that I think a lot of uh, Packer fans especially will be excited about is a guy by the name of Troy Fumagalli. This is somebody that I think a lot of Packer fans wanted because he's a former Wisconsin Badger. He was a fifth-round pick by the Denver Broncos. He only lasted one year there. Actually, it was two, but it looks like he didn't play in 2018. So after 2019, they let him go. New England picked him up in 2021, and then they let him go. San Francisco got him in 2022, and he was there in 2022. He's there in 2023. It really does not look like he's going to make it. They right now have one, two, three, four, five, six different tight ends, and according to our lads, he is dead last on the depth chart. I looked at some fifty-three man roster projections; he is not on it. But one of the reasons his name came up is I looked at some of the the highest blocking tight ends. I know that's not the most important thing, but that's what the Packers are going to be looking for: who can get in there and get dirty and do some blocking. On top of that, having played two years for the 49ers is not going to hurt his cause. Now, is he a premier blocker? Not necessarily. And part of the issue is his really good blocking grade is contrary to what we've seen in the past. So if we just look at run blocking, which is mostly what these guys do, very little pass blocking tight ends end up doing. He only had four in his four years. We're just looking at preseason right now, but 105 run blocking snaps. In 2019, it was a 50 then a 61, then a 68, and then this year is an 80. Now, that progression is fantastic, but is it real is my question, especially the massive jump from 60 to 80, you know, 68 to 80, I guess. And then if you look at him in the regular season, in 2019 it was a 52, and then in 2020 it was a 60. That's all he played, though. He didn't play in 2021, 2022, and obviously not 2023. So they're not great grades, but it's kind of similar to what we saw in the preseason, meaning there's a chance that this guy is legit. Now he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but that's a pretty sizable human being. So he's 250, played for the Badgers. Now that's a, that is a rough, you know, downhill, blocking organization. And then again, going to the San Francisco 49ers. I think Troy Fumagalli has some potential in terms of would you rather take a flyer on a guy like Troy Fumagalli or Austin Allen. And you can certainly make a case for Allen. He's six foot eight, two 253, which is more tall than big. I mean, he's probably a little bit more lankly than, lanky than Fumagalli is. They're about the same weight. But he's already been with your team. He had a pretty solid uh, run-blocking grade in preseason week one. Not as much in week two. But, you know, eh, maybe. But I would say that that's somebody to keep an eye on. Another is a rookie undrafted free agent by the name of Brady Russell, currently with the Philadelphia Eagles. Six foot three, 247. Not the tallest guy in the world, but pretty jacked. And again, I'm primarily looking at him for two reasons. He blocked really well, and I actually look back to see if he did it in college, because obviously these are smaller sample sizes. He played five years at Colorado. Relatively good blocking grade. I mean, he has 1,200 run blocking reps, 233 pass blocking. In 2022, he had a 70 run blocking grade, a 74 pass blocking grade. And then if you look at what he's done with the Philadelphia Eagles in uh, his three games there, uh, just 22 run blocking snaps. He's a little bit further down the depth chart. He didn't get a lot of opportunities, but an 80 run blocking grade and a 70.2 pass blocking grade. Is he going to offer much as a receiver? No, but I mean, that honestly works to our benefit because most of these teams are saying if you can't play as a receiver, we don't want you. The Packers have their receivers. They need a guy that they can, I'm presuming here, I don't know. Maybe they're not looking for anybody. But if they were, I think you're trying to find somebody that can come in and maybe do what Tyler Davis did. And I think Brady Russell is somebody to keep an eye on, depending on how the Packers felt about him through this whole draft process, because he's an unproven prospect. I mean, it's not like we have four years of data that he's really bad at football, but maybe he can turn it around or he had this one good year or something like that. Maybe the guy's just good, especially since he's always kind of been a decent blocker. Now, again, being six foot three, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but at two hundred and fifty pounds, might be somebody to keep an eye on. And again, I can't guarantee these guys are going to get cut, but as of right now, it looks like they probably are not going to make it. Another guy, and again, this would be a big flyer, but six foot four, two hundred forty-seven pound Julian Hill is a twenty twenty-three undrafted free agent out of the Campbell Fighting Campbells excuse me, camels. Campbell's fighting camels is a real thing. But again, what does he offer? Run blocking. 73.7 run blocking rate. It's it's a small sample size, but I mean, it's it's thirty about 30 reps. So there's enough there to kind of see if you like what you see. Another guy I'm really surprised to find might be available is actually Albert Okwegbanom. He was a pretty big name a while ago. He was in the 2020 draft, but he's 6'5", 260. He was a fourth-round pick by the Denver Broncos. I I almost didn't even bother to look it up because I'm like, he's probably like their number two, number one. I don't even know. I figured he'd be way up there. He's kind of far down the depth chart. It's not a consensus he's going to be cut, obviously, but it's looking like that might be a thing. And honestly, I mean, the preseason was so-so. I actually looked at him in the regular season, and he actually kind of surprises. I mean, he's got got injury issues is one of the bigger things, but he's not going to be a focal point. And I think he was brought into the league as a receiver, and he'll probably not be used as much in that regard. Kind of a, a weird thing. His his first year, his receiving grade was an 82. His second year was a 72. And then in 2022, it was a 52. 82, 72, 52. So there's, there's, there's capability there. There's a potential to even be a somewhat of a receiving threat. He's shown the ability. I mean, he's got decent size. 6'5", 260 is a big dude. And he's shown the ability as a blocker. I mean, a, a, again, his his blocking grades are pretty fantastic. He had a 75 run blocking grade last year. It was down a little bit in 2021, but as a rookie, he had an 82 run blocking grade. So he kind of just dominated across the board as a rookie. But I, I just, I think he's he's a capable guy. Now, do you want to take a flyer on a guy that might not make it anyways? You probably could because you could have Austin Allen on the practice squad. And worst case scenario, Albert gets hurt and we're right back to where we were and we see what Allen can do. And who knows? I mean, who knows what exactly they're going to be looking for if they feel like they've got enough as blocking and and maybe they just want to add to the receiving because Cole Komet hasn't been able to do that and we want someone other than Musgrave. Maybe they do look that way. Maybe they take a flyer on a guy like Hunter Campmoyer, 6'4", 243 with the LA Chargers. Not super likely to make the team. Had a real solid preseason. Rated out well in all three games. Who knows? But there are options. And and again, the bigger picture here is the Packers are going to go back, they're going to look at some areas, they're going to they're going to look around the league and say, if these guys make it, we got to have a serious consideration. And so they're going to everybody's depth chart, because everybody's got these struggles, and that's kind of the cool thing. And that's where it would be fun to talk to the other 31 people covering the NFL, and just be like, look, who are the guys that you're saying, if this guy gets waived, I'm going to be nervous. And then it's just a question of, do we have a spot on our roster? You know, I mean, there's certain places where it's like, you know, I... Even if an edge rusher kind of, we, we, we don't have a spot. Even if they've been as impressive as Brenton Cox, well, we already have our own Brenton Cox. But it is interesting to think about, where, where else might the Packers even explore that? I, quarterback, I don't think so. We, we got our number one, we got our number two. I think another place to maybe consider would be interior offensive line. Um, you know, James MP is already a question mark in terms of maybe you want to put him on there. But it's kind of just more of a necessity thing than, like, a. I think James is a legit football player. We know we have the tackles. And I'm relatively confident that Royce and Sean Ryan are going to be on the 53. But that doesn't mean you wouldn't mind having one more guy just to put in there just to see if it can work. Um, there's a lot of options there, honestly. I mean, the, the highest pass-blocking center is Carolina's Sam Tecklenberg. And he right now is listed as the number three center behind Bradley Bozeman, who's the starter, Justin McCray, believe it or not, who's still apparently in the NFL, and then Sam Tucklenberg. Now, he might get a job, I don't know, but just as a for instance, I don't think that's the worst thing to consider, right? I mean think about it as a Panthers fan, we'd be sitting here having the same conversation, like there's no way we can waive this guy. So through the preseason, his his three games that he played at Center. pass blocking grade, 79.7 pass blocking grade, and 82.6 pass blocking grade. It's 45 snaps. It's not the most in the world, but that's pretty solid. The only regular season snaps he played, 97 snaps back in 2021, and he had a 71 PFF grade as a pass blocker. But, I mean, there are, I mean, just center, 15 different players with 80 grades or higher. Basically 16, 79.8. With 80 PFF grades, I don't want to sit here and go through every single one of them, but there's a lot of options, and some of these guys are going to be waived by their teams. You know, Nick Leverett in, in Tampa probably going to be on the 53, but he's got center and guard experience, graded out really well this preseason. Last year as a pass blocker, graded out well. Um, 32-year-old Austin Reader just as a short-term fix. I mean, this guy's got a massive amount of experience. Had an 83 pass blocking grade this preseason. Kind of up and down as far as a pass blocker um, for most of his career, but his three years in Kansas City from 2018 to 2020, 81, 82, 78 were his pass blocking grades. The other three years were not great, but I'm just saying something to consider. Probably going to get cut, waived. I just, just when I say cut, I mean waived. All right, just the terminology gives a crap. So again, I'm not going to go through all these. There's a bunch of, I mean, I, I've just like I said, there's 16 guys who graded out really well. Jake Brendel, Juice Scruggs. <laughs> I'm not even going to say this guy's name. <laughs> not even going to do it. Although it would be hilarious. Sam Mustafer actually did fantastic for the Baltimore Ravens. He was putrid for Chicago. Last year, just in the preseason, he had a 51 pass blocking grade. He had an 81 pass blocking grade for Baltimore. If that guy's a good football player, I'm going to be so happy. I hope Baltimore turns him into a stud. Six foot two, 332-pound stud. Joey Hunt. One guy I do want to check out. I'm guessing he's locked in, but let me just check something really quick because I'd be really intrigued by this. Ethan Posick, Nick Harris. See? I'm just saying. Apparently, the number three, according to our lads, number three center, unlikely to make it if he is actually the third string player, Luke Whipler, rookie sixth-round pick out of Ohio State. The only reason I say that is because I had my eye on him in college. I made a mistake a long time ago. I was reading through some stuff, and I'm like, dang, this dude, Luke Whippler is going to be real good when he decides to declare for the draft or whatever. And then I found him in the draft, and he was like a fourth, fifth-round prospect. I'm like, what are you talking about? He grades out phenomenally well for Ohio State. I don't know why this would be a problem. Sure enough, he comes into the NFL and dominates the preseason. He had an 80-run-blocking grade and 80-pass-blocking grade in his 156 snaps. He played center and guard tell you what if this guy gets waived this is my number one prospect right here it would also be hilarious to have two i think back-to-back ohio state centers playing behind each other i would i would freaking love that that would be number one on my list partially because i would just be right from the beginning for saying that i have no idea why this guy wouldn't have been drafted earlier if he ends up being a good player that would just be lovely but all right what else would be interesting here possibly defensive line You know, I mean, if we're a little bit underwhelmed with Jonathan Ford, you know, you kind of give him that mulligan year. It's your rookie year. We'll try you out. Now it's year two. If we're not seeing that big jump, you know, maybe we're not 100% sold. Could there be a defensive lineman out there? And again, you're looking at primarily nose tackles, right, to to be sort of that backup T.J. Slayton guy. Not sure there's a lot of great options for it, but it's something to maybe keep an eye on. Probably not. Uh, Edge, I don't think so. Linebacker, I don't think so corner, I don't think so. Safety, you know, it, it feels like it's automatic that it should be, but I think that's kind of tough. Because again, Savage is going to make the team. Rudy Ford is probably going to end up being the number two. I mean, he he disappeared for like a month and then emerged and it's like, oh yeah, I'm the number two. Like, oh, okay, well, welcome back. We missed you, bud. I feel like Jonathan Owens is fairly locked in. Dallin Levitt is locked in. Anthony Johnson is locked in. Now that's not to say we can't, as I've been saying, get rid of potentially to various more, and bring somebody else in. Obviously, again, the Packers are going to be watching everybody and and making some determinations on that, but I I think it might be a tougher position group to get into than maybe is expected. Now, the other layer to this, which we're not going to cover today, would just be trades. And there's two parts to trades. Number one, obviously, is looking to, um, you know, teams do make trades around this time. Because the bottom line is you've, you've got two categories of guys that you're going to move on from. The vast majority you're moving on from because they're just not good enough to be on the 53. The other guys, though, legitimately are guys that you feel like it's time to move on from, but I think there's a little bit of value here, and I'm going to see if I can get some value out of them. And for the Packers, that might potentially be a guy like Yash Naiman. Now, again, I think most people agree that he's probably not going to be moved on from, he's got too much value, but it is something to consider. And that's something to consider for other teams as well. And I, you know, th- there is a big one sitting out there that is beyond a long shot, but you've got some guys that have not, they're in contract disputes and they haven't been able to figure some things out. And Chris Jones is one of them at defensive tackle. That was one of the only good examples of a guy that I thought that we could get at defensive tackle. Now, obviously, that'd be a pretty ridiculous thing. Impossible? Absolutely not. But it would just be a ton of trade capital. But the point is. There's massive trades that can be made. There's smaller trades that could be made. And so that's something to also keep an eye on around the league. It's something I'm going to start keeping my eye on in terms of, you know, the other 31 teams. What are they kind of sweating about? Who are the, the value propositions that are, that are potentially not going to be making the team either through trade or just straight up getting waived? But, but that does kind of bring us to the final thing I wanted to talk about, which is the potential for people maybe being traded. Yash Nyman is obviously the top of that list. Again, it's not necessarily because I think it's going to happen, but I definitely think it's worth discussing. The fact of the matter is, well, l- let me start with this. Let me find it real quick. Uh, Wendell Ferreira on uh, Twitter says, Since Goody became the GM, the Packers have tra- traded away Brett Hundley and Lindsey Pipkins in 2018, Reggie Gilbert and Justin McRae in 2019, Josh Jackson and Kadar Holman in 2021, Cole Van Lanen in 2022. So, two guys every single year one in 2022 somebody's getting traded it might just be you know somebody a little bit further down the line that gets you that conditional 7th or something you know but again it is seriously worth considering and and i think yash is the guy that brings us the highest yield you're talking about a guy that could potentially be a starting tackle now he's not ideal but there are teams out there that have just abysmal abysmal situations you could even look at teams like the jets now i know they said um Makai uh, M- Becton is going to be their starting right tackle. But, you know, depending on the price, you could be talking about a, a a backup and a guy that can potentially be starting there. And there are other just horrific, horrific offensive line situations around the NFL that could probably have Yash Nyman be a, a slight upgrade over what they have. And again, the, the argument for it is we right now have David Bakhtiari and, and uh, Zach Tom as our starting tackle. Rashid Walker has overtaken Yash Nyman. Presumably. I don't know that 100%, but it certainly seems to be the case. Now, Yash provides value, but the question really just becomes, is he more valuable here where he's going to be essentially our number four tackle? Meaning we would need two injuries at tackle before we'd ever see him. And understand, we could easily just kick Elton Jenkins out and put in, you know, Sean Ryan or, God help us, Royce Newman in a pinch. Another reason to keep an eye on interior offensive line, by the way. If you shudder at the thought of your backup guards coming in, that's not a great thing. But that does become the question. I think somebody else to keep an eye on is Samori Ture. We talked about the very outside chance that potentially the guy could end up not making the 53. It seems like an outside shot, but really, if you think about it, not only does he seem like the odd man out, but you got to understand this guy's sitting here with a little bit of a a, a pile of value. And so if you're Gutekunst, you call around and say, what would you give me for Samori Ture? You know, everybody's got a price. The question is, will somebody meet that price? Again, if you have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Tay Wicks, and Malik Heath already ahead of Samori Touré, and you want Grant DuBose, let's say, on the 53, but that's a lot of guys, if you can get a decent price for Samori Touré and then elevate Grant DeBose onto your 53, that's not a terrible situation. What would it take to move him? I don't know. But, but it's also sort of a writing-on-the-wall situation. Even though you kind of semi-like Samori Touré, the bottom line is he's already been overtaken by an undrafted free agent. And a rookie. I mean, two rookies, but a, a, a rookie in, in Tay Wicks. And you probably figure that Grant DeBose is, I don't want to say likely to overtake him, but the, the bottom line is it's not going to take much. We're going to bring in mid, mid-round, late-round, and undrafted free agent guys, and we, we're pretty confident that we can find some more level talent sitting out there. So we're not worried about what we're losing, especially since, again, he's a slot receiver, and Jaden Reed has taken that job away from him. I suppose in the case of a Jaden Reed injury, you would need somebody. Now, we could slide any one of these guys in the slot, but Samori Turi may be the best. Now, again, I don't think this is going to happen. I think Samori Turi is on the 53-man roster. That's why I have him there. But again, it's it would be worth calling around and finding out what people would be willing to offer. Um, outside of that, I don't know. I, I you know, I I... I, I I'm going to sound a certain way when I say this. I'm sure people are going to chuckle, but Justin Hollins, I, I, I think the Packers really like him, so I don't think he's going anywhere. And you're not going to move a, a, an edge rusher that you really like. But the only reason I say that is Rashawn Gary we know is going to be here. Preston Smith we know is going to stay. Lucas Van Ness we know is going to stay. Kingsley we know is going to stay. Brenton Cox there's a good chance they would like him to be on the 53 if at all possible. That's a pretty solid group. If he's tradable, if he's worth some money, if he's proven himself, what would it take? For the Packers to say, we have a good enough group that we feel good. Now, I, again, I don't think there's a price. I think, you know, you want as many of these edge rushers. Yes, I understand. I get it. But you, you want a steady stable of edge rushers if you can have it. And then, um other than that, the only guy that comes to mind, and I'm sure it wouldn't yield a ton, but Pat O'Donnell. If Broughton Hatcher feels good enough, you wonder if there's a team out there struggling with with special teams that could use a punter that are just waiting for us to wave him, and it's like, mm, well, I'm not going to make it that easy on you. You want him? You know, if we wave him, somebody else is going to get him. And that's if he even gets there because we're going to be, got a bunch of other people calling about him. I'm just saying. Sounds like we got buyers. I don't think he's going to make it, man. You better you better make a move right now. Give, give me a 2025 seventh, man. I want to make 2025 a good year. Come on, hook me up. <laughs> um, I saw Peter Bukowski also commented on this. He had three guys. Uh, actually, he did have Justin Hollins, which is kind of funny. Uh, another was Samori Ture that I mentioned, but he also has Royce Newman which I think is obviously pretty fair. My only question would be the, the complete lack of depth at that point. I mean, you have to bring up somebody like Empey or Schneider. I mean, you you, you have to have at least two interior guys. Um, and then the question is, does Royce have any value? I'm sure he probably has some, but, man, he just torpedoed his value this preseason. And for the Packers who need depth at interior offensive line to be able to move, to, to be interested in moving him, isn't necessarily... Um, Setting off a bunch of positive alarm bells. So I'm a little bit less sure of that one, but it's certainly something. To, I mean, who knows? Again, everybody has a price, and you never know what these other 31 teams want. You got a team out there that's just Jonesing for Royce, and Gudekun's sitting there like, Are you serious? You're talking about Newman, right? Boys, do we have another Royce on the team? Royce, Royce, uh we got a Royce somewhere, don't we? You're talking about Royce Newman. Okay, yeah. And to be clear, you're paying me, right? Okay, I'm just no, no, no. It's it's fine. No, you're you're right. I get you, that. I get confused. Or just uh, we'll send over the paperwork. Are you screwing? Who is this? It's not funny, man. I, are you serious? You are serious. Okay, yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to think about it, but sure, we'll sign the paperwork. That's kind of how I envision that going down. Uh, th- one one other guy kind of came to mind here, real quick. Again, very very outside chance, but but Kudikunst is actually this is another area where he's kind of surprisingly talented. Is trading people that you look at and go, are you serious? We, I mean, uh, Cole Van Landon. what the heck did that guy ever do? What about a guy like Shamar Jean Charles? Now, I think Innes had a pretty bad day, which made me kind of go, eh, maybe Shamar stays, I don't know. But Shamar's a drafted dude, which I feel like helps your, your case a little bit, even though he was a late-round draft pick. He's a drafted guy. who's was pretty fiery in the preseason. You saw some stuff. It, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Something to think about. But I think it's going to be an interesting uh, week. We got the cutdown starting... Pretty much immediately, we're going to start seeing this news roll in. Um, you know, some of them are going to be immediate. In fact, should probably save it for tomorrow. But, you know, th- there's some guys that right off the top, man, we don't need to screw around and, and really think about it. You know, Elijah Hamilton at corner who was just brought in. Same with Marvin Pierre who was just brought in. Um, Antonio Moultrie probably can go pretty quick here. Andre Miller at tight end. Probably the wide receivers, Jadakus Bonds and Deuce Watts, I would guess would go pretty quick. Nate McCrary at running back, thank you for your service. And again, these guys get waived. Some of them are going to come back. And that's part of the process I want to look at is who do I think is going to be a practice squad guy. But I think some of these guys, are they, they, they know that they're not going to be practice squad. And so they're not going to mess around. And, and, and that's the thing, too. It's partially about there's a, there's a rhyme and a reason for who gets released and, and, and win. And it's not just a matter of we know. They, they probably know a lot of things. But the guys that you know aren't going to be there, you let them go as soon as possible. You help them go out and try to find a job somewhere else because you're not going to try to bring them back. The guys that you want to bring back, you wait as long as possible. You're hoping that these teams that might come in and swoop in, they swoop on somebody else. So guys like Emmanuel Wilson, it might be a while. I mean, assuming he gets waived, I think that might be late. If Brenton Cox ends up getting waived, it's going to be at the deadline. And I know I'm I'm like of the 2% that thinks that's even a possibility, but that would be certainly one of them. Um, and honestly, well, no, no, he'll be practice squad. Never mind. I I need to get out of here. I I was going to say somebody like Tariq Carpenter. Now let's just say, for instance, that Tariq Carpenter, they didn't really want to bring back in the practice squad. Maybe they're looking more at Jimmy Phillips, who I thought had a pretty good camp. Tariq would be like one of the first ones to go because they really like the guy. And again, they really want to give him a quick start at trying to find a new team. And that's something to remember too. As soon as you see a cut like really early, there's no reason to expect the Packers are going to try to bring him back. They're doing that to help them find a new job. So... Anyways, I have rambled long enough. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.